Pastor Dead, and I've been in this church for the last 10 years or so, and I served as an elder alongside uh, Clive and Ant in this church. And it's my joy to, to speak about biblical identity and culture. Um, when we think about culture, all of us have one. Uh, all of us have one. We've all grown up in some kind of environment or atmosphere that has somehow shaped us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how that interacts with what God says um, about culture. What's his views about the world? What is his view about nationalities and race and ethnicity and all the things that make up uh, who we are as people on this earth? And um, there is, in, in all of our lives, just as the onset, I, I have no... I see life and, and, and things from my perspective, growing up from my background, and you will see life from a different perspective to me in some ways. And I just want to be honest with you that there are things that I do not understand about your culture or, or automatically will click with me, and you likewise will, will have to learn elements about mine and yours and how we see the world. But I pray that God will give us grace for each other to, to see the world uh, through different lenses, but to ultimately see it through his lens and how he sees humanity. And I love just this morning, just on stage, I saw the nations represented there. I saw, as we prayed for people this morning, nations represented, different races, different ethnicities. And it's a beautiful thing. And I want to touch on that and how that is a beautiful picture of heaven. Uh, but yeah, there are still challenges that we face in this world. So as I, um, as I start, I want to start with a little bit of a lighter hearted thing. Uh, I want to have a bit of pop quiz. Um, does anyone know what's happening on the 25th of November, 2022? at 7 p.m. Anybody? Don't look at your diaries, don't look at the phone. Anybody know what's happening on the 25th of November, 7 p.m.? The World Cup, do you know who's playing? Yes, England are playing versus? USA, hey, okay, well the USA. There's only one of you here, oh, two of you, two of you here. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what soccer, I know it's getting more and more traction in America. Um, but I'm sure households where there's the root of Englishness and a root of the United States of America, tensions are going to rise. Maybe not so. Maybe you just get on with it and may the best team win in <coughs> England. Um, how about the 29th of November, 7 p.m. on BBC? Who's playing? England versus... Brazil, not Brazil. Oh, someone said Wales. Yes, any Welsh people in? <laughs> represent, Megan, represent. Let me tell you this. We, we have friends in, in our school. Um, one, the mum is, is Welsh. Uh, the dad is English. They have, they have three children. Somehow the children just become Welsh. I don't know what it is. Somehow the dragon rises inside of them. And an explosion comes out, and, and I'm sure we get it. And I have friends at work, their 10% Scottish comes out when, um, when, when England play um, England in, play, play Scotland in, in the rugby. It's just a weird phenomenon that happens at a workplace on a Monday morning. The, the Scottishness just comes out of them, suddenly wearing kilts and whatever else. But, you know, it's a reality that we live in, that we live in a reality of we exist as different nations, different cultures, different races, and often they come out predominantly in things like sporting events, as we see, haven't we? When the World Cup's coming, 32 nations represented across the world. Um, our, our nationality and our race and our background comes out in other aspects as well. Just think about this year, just in the UK, um, significant things have happened in our nation. 
Um, in the last few, uh, a monarch has celebrated her platinum jubilee and the nation gathered around what it meant to be British. I don't think anyone really knows what that means, to be honest. I know Dave and Cameron asked the question a few years ago, what does it mean to be British and multicultural and all these things? But it came to the surface and the way we represented the Platinum Jubilee in cultures and nations across, uh, across for the UK and the empire, uh, sorry, not the empire, that's a dirty word, across the, <laughs> across the Commonwealth, <laughs> sorry. I told you I'm gonna offend somebody today. Um, and, 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 and yeah, we see that represented uh, in, in how you know, the, the atmosphere and in the events that were put on, and it was intentionally done that way. And we see it, then we come out. And, and we may, in our own cultural background, may have our own cultural and national things that we hold to. For me, Chinese New, Chinese New Year in February, I get to celebrate New Year's twice, isn't that amazing? Um, and, and other festivals that we celebrate because of our background and our culture. And just as we understand identity, because we're talking about biblical identity, once we stand, we think about identity, we have to think about how our culture, how our background, how our upbringing, and the environment that we have lived through to these, this point, how that has shaped not just the color of my, not just my color of my skin or my hair or my family, but actually my values, my, how I behave, how I see family life, knowingly or unknowingly, proactively or inadvertently, I'm responding in life out of the way in which I have grown up, in the culture and the background that I have been brought up in. And so that's not that's for me, but also it's for you as well. It's a guarantee. You have been shaped in some part, not entirely, and this is clear, not entirely, we have not been shaped entirely, we're not slaves to it, but we have been shaped significantly by our upbringing, our culture, our race, our nationality. But in the UK right now, and I think in a way it's, it's, it's somewhat of a blessing that we experience a British culture, and I'm represented somewhat in this church as well, of a mixture of cultures. I've heard, I'm sure you've heard multiculturalism as a terminology raised in the coming times, where multiculturalism, where many nations have come to the UK, have been invited in many instances. And we live now, especially in the southeast and in London, around this area where multiculturalism is, is present everywhere. We see on the street, and in this, in this building right now, many nations represented here, many cultures represented here. And in many ways, that, for some people, that's joy, and it's excitement, and it goes, yes, great, this is fantastic. For other people, for whatever reasons, I'm not belittling or trying to point fingers, for whatever reason, also that makes people, in many situations, uncomfortable as well. And they are challenges with multiculturalism, and identity, and who we are as a people. And throughout history, um, I, I used the word empire already, and I apologize for that, I didn't mean to do it, but yes, empires and rulers and people going to other nations have also decimated cultures and somewhat, if we're true to, our, to, to, to history, we see, them, um, we see bad outcomes and poor outcomes and horrific outcomes of how nationalities and nations have warred. And we see that right now in the news with nations at war. Um, I don't have to mention Russia and Ukraine, just to mention one. We see it in nationalism rising in nations because of the pushback against their feelings, strong, deep feelings between what is people's cultural preferences or desires. But as Christians, well, how are we to approach this situation of cultures, nationality, race, ethnicity in the times where we see many different opinions rising? 
And we start with maybe this question, and it's quite a helpful one when you think about identity. Who am I? Who am I? And I want to just put at that question, who am I, with a cultural perspective. When you ask yourself that question, who am I, from a cultural perspective, we, often we answer it from a sense maybe of ethnicity. Who are you, Ed? I am Chinese, but British born. My language, I answer it maybe from a language thing. I come from this place in South Africa, or I was born in the USA, but I emigrated over here. We often think about who we are from a cultural perspective based on um, our ethnicity or our, our family values and heritage. You might answer that question, who am I, based on your citizenship. Anybody here with a British passport? Some of us, most of us, hopefully. Some of us here have other passports. Some of us have two passports. Some of us have green cards. Some of us have other cards, which allow us to have citizenship, to have belonging, to have nationality, a place where you can call home and be belong to it and not be moved out of. When we ask the question about who am I, we often answer it culturally from the perspective of where do I feel accepted? Maybe you have a British passport or an American passport, but you feel like France is your home because you have an affinity there. Maybe you feel accepted um, not necessarily just because of your passport or your ethnicity, but because of your shared values with a group of people. And I think when we think about it from a cultural perspective, it's where we feel accepted, it's where we feel belonging, it's where we feel safe. Yeah? And often, this is a big generalization, but often we feel safe with people sometimes who look like us, who talk like us, who think like us, who have a shared history like us, don't we? And that's not a bad thing at all. I'm not in any way saying that we, 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 we negate the benefits and the joy of that, but at the same time, that is not the totality of what we are as human beings. And God has a bigger, more grander picture about what it means to be the church and his people. For some people, when I ask you the question, who am I? The answers are simple. I was born in Wellingarn City. I was born in London. I've lived here in this little English country village for all my life. Sometimes our answers can be very simple. For others, who am I can be a really complicated question. Maybe you've moved, you've emigrated. Maybe your parents lived in another country, then you've moved to another country, then you've moved to another country. And the complexity of what has built up our culture and our background has been one which has got a bit more like this rather than a straight linear line. For some people, when we ask the question, who am I? The answer might be a sense of pride. I am Greek. <laughs> or, <laughs> or I am English, or I am Scottish. Definitely a few Scottish nationalists out there. But there is a sense of pride and belonging. And yes, I identify really with who I am because of my background. But for some other people, when you ask the question, who am I? Sometimes, it's off, sometimes in situations, there's a sense of pain. And there's sometimes a sense of shame, even. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they were saying that being English, pretty much English, English, brought up, not living in another country, but as they've been grown up, they felt a sense of shame being English because of the history of things like the British Empire, because of the history of some of the pains that have come up. 
And sometimes in our young, especially in our younger generation, there is a dismantling or a deconstruction. I don't know if you've heard those terminologies. A deconstruction because they just, they just don't like the history of what happened to them in their country or their ethnicity. And that's, that's, that's a really painful thing to acknowledge in some of our lives. For me, my story is one where I was born here in the UK. Um, I'm called a BBC, which is a British-born Chinese. My parents are from Malaysia. And... Um, Chinese people love acronyms. I don't know why. Maybe it just works in our brains. We simplify things. Why, why use so many words? Um, I'm a second-generation Chinese here. My parents were from Malaysia and Hong Kong. I was born in Wellington City in the QE2 hospital up the road. Not very far. I lived in St. Albans till I was 11 years old. But then my dad had a good idea and said, I want to move to Hong Kong. I want to move to Asia for, for a period. And we moved to Hong Kong when I was 11 years old, and I lived there for seven years. And in Hong Kong... I look like a Chinese person. I can smile like a Chinese person, but I can't speak like a Chinese person. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it, was all, it was awkward. I remember having nightmares uh, before I went to Hong Kong when I was 11 years old, sleeping in my bed, thinking that I'm going to go to school in Hong Kong. I'm going to have to march in <laughs> under a red flag and, and stand like this. And I thought that was what like, you know, Chinese people did in Hong Kong. I had a very weird concept. It wasn't like that. As you know, Hong Kong was a British colony. We have a lot of shared history with the British um, obviously ruling there. And I was there, and I lived in a very international community, actually. I went to an international church. I met people from Australia, America, uh, Sweden, um, New Zealand, Hong Kong locals, um, people like me, British-born Chinese, who have moved here and thereabouts. And I, I, I ended up you know, growing up in a very okay, a diverse um, environment in, in that sense. But then I moved to the UK when I was 18, and I had another identity cultural shock. I was like, right, I'm an international, loads of stuff. Now I'm in the UK. I'm in London for university. Uh, I sh this, London should feel like home, but it doesn't. And I think London was a little bit of a, a bit of a, for me, a little bit of a, an easy way back into the British life because it is such a diverse and multicultural city. Then I married a Singaporean. Who, 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 again, has her own cultural development things. So she was born in Singapore. My wife was born in Singapore, but then she lived in the UK pretty much all of her life. So she was East End, London, all in it. And, and I was like, who is this girl? And, um, and yeah, she was more British than I was, even though I had a British passport and she had a Singaporean passport. It was odd. Um, now we're all on the same side of the fence. It's all fine. No one's going to get deported. Um, uh, we sorted that out. But, um, but it's interesting, isn't it, that our cultural, whatever my identity has been, my culture hasn't been necessarily a straight line. And maybe it's the same for you. Maybe you are thinking about what it means for you, or you figured it out, but maybe you're thinking about your children. You know, some of you have emigrated from other countries. Now you're living here. And you, that's a good question we have to ask ourselves. What do we hold to? Um, in the church, though, uh, in this church, I know that um, the complex answer of who am I um, does bring up sometimes pain and challenges for us. Um, I'm just thinking about some of you here, some of you have heard your, some of your stories about how you've chosen to leave your, your country because of potentially political unrest or the atmosphere has changed in such a way that you can no longer see your family uh, living in that country. And I acknowledge that, and I acknowledge that some of you have shared that story with me and, and others here. And um, some of you, maybe your country has felt like it's been taken away from you. 
and there's been no choice but other than to move to another country like this one here. Um, maybe refugee feels maybe like a little bit of a terminology that we're hearing a lot of times at the moment, but you've been displaced. But I want to speak hope this morning into, you, into, this, into this church. I want to speak God's perspective and his vision for the church. And in our, whatever our cultural situations are, I want to apply the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ into your lives and give you a hope and a future because that's what he promises to us. So my first point this morning for us just to consider is that our primary identity is found in our citizenship of heaven. Our primary identity comes from our citizenship in heaven. Culture or identity is important. By no ways, it's not important. Um, go celebrate your, your Thanksgiving. Go celebrate um, Chinese New Year, whatever it may be. But your ethnicity, your nationality, is of such a small proportion of your, your, your identity compared to your heavenly identity of what Jesus has done for you. Let me just read this. Ephesians 2, 19 says... You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now Paul writing this uses intentional words. He didn't just throw them out there. He says citizenship. He says members of a household. There is a family for you. There is a belonging, a citizenship that belongs under the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These are the words he's using. A people for God's own possession. These are words that the gospel writers use because they recognize that in Christ, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. There is one in Christ Colossians 3, 10, I believe. And this is what God's redemptive purpose is for us, for all nations, that we would be a people, a single people of peoples. Singular, a, peop, a singular people of plural peoples. That is God's design. That is God's intention through the story of redemption, through the gospel message. So first, our primary identity is in our heavenly citizenship, and this is how God has established it. The gospel redemption story, that is, when I say the gospel redemption story, what I mean is God has taken us through the story of creation. He's taken us through this, the issue of fall and sin. He's taken us through the forgiveness and salvation that Jesus brings, but he also brings a restoration we call it sometimes the gospel arc from creation, fall, salvation, redemption. Our story, the story of God's plan is, involves all nations, involves all humanity. And the first thing that gospel story does for us, when we have a view of what the gospel is, it, it, it uses the word all. It includes all people. The gospel is for all nations, all people, whether you're African, whether you're from Asia, whether you're from South America, North America, Europe, all people, have a com we have a common humanity. We have a common story that God wants to bring us into, his story. And I'm going to use the word all and every to try and illustrate this as we go through the gospel arc. So as we think about creation, first and foremost, all people are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, all people, all people are called to reflect the personhood, 
the beauty, the majesty of our creative God. We recognize that all people are created in his image with inherent worth and value. You weren't created with someone who is up here and someone who's down here. Every single human being that God created intrinsically has a value because they are created in his image. We're created also in his image. That means we're created also for community. God is a communal God. When he created, he didn't create human beings because he was lonely. He created human beings to share in the community of who he was, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So inherently, as human beings, when we have an identity based in who God has created us to be, we are created to be a community. We're created to share life, not as individuals, but as one person, as one people. God created us for vertical relationship with him, but also created us for horizontal relationship with each other. And that is what creation teaches us about all people. But then we know in the story of the gospel that sin comes Sin comes, and we call it the fall, and it impacts not just one or two people groups or a few people groups. It creates a rift and a damage for all of humanity. All humanity is broken. Rather than looking to our creator God for our worth and our hope and our joy, we look instead to ourselves. We look to my own self-interest. I look to my own people group. I look to my own desires rather than exalt the God who created me. And we have to be clear about this. Sin affects all people, all nations, all races, all ethnicities. It is a common shared experience that we have, that we are fallen and broken people. No matter if you're white, black, yellow, red, whatever color you feel, we are all broken before God. We would choose to exalt ourselves rather than look to our God and exalt him, affects us. And I want to touch on this just slightly, um, that often prejudice and ethnic tensions and racism, we see it sometimes as a social issue, but I want to say it is a gospel issue. It is a gospel issue because the root of prejudice comes from the belief that one people group or one type of persons or one kind of type of people is greater than another, that one is lesser and one is greater. Where does that come from? It comes from our fallen nature, doesn't it? Where we look to our own self-interests, our own needs, rather than looking and seeing the intrinsic worth of everybody else around us. I will look to China, when I was, as, as a Chinese person, I think one of the qualities I have maybe is that, uh, and maybe it's not a good thing, I'm quite adaptable, I feel. I remember when I first came to the UK, um, to London back in 2000 after, after finishing school in Hong Kong and for university, my, even my language was adapting. I speak to some, if I spoke to someone from the East End, I'd get this kind of all cockney kind of, yeah, you're like, well, yeah, but yeah, man, and all this. And then I'd like speak to somebody who was from, um, from America in university, and then I'd get this slight, I realized at the end of the day, I took this weird twang in, my <laughs> in the back of my throat. I was like, what's going on here? And then I'd speak to like an Australian, and then I'd be like, oh, like, I don't know, how do Australians speak? I don't speak to enough anymore. But do you know what I mean? That my, I was adapting to, to um, what am I going with this? I can't remember. Um, I, I was very much adapting to, um, to, to the environment around me because of, of who I was and my background. And, um, but often what happens in our, when we feel threatened, 
when we feel um, something pushing against, remember, we're all formed by some kind of culture. When we feel pushed against our culture, what we will often do is we will retreat to that culture. We will retreat to that people group. We retreat to people who are like me. And tensions and ethnicities is a gospel issue because where we share it in broken humanity, what we find ourselves that we choose to look into ourselves rather than look to our creator, God. But this is how Christ says it to each of us in this room. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, when we think about that, it sounds like easy words, but when we think about it from a cultural perspective, who is my neighbor? And this is how Jesus answered it. A man was walking on a road and he was attacked. And he was left for dead on the side of the road. And the priest came, same nationality as this guy, and he walked past on the other side. And then another person came, same nationality, he walked past and left him to the dead still. And another one came, a third time came, and the same again, same nationality, with this person who was dead, and he walked past. But then a Samaritan came, somebody different, different ethnicity, different cultural background, different shared, actually not even shared history, a rifted in history with this other Jewish person. Totally, it should have been enemies. And he picked him up, he lifted him onto his donkey, he nursed his wounds, he brought him to an inn. He paid for his recovery. That is how Jesus treats and sees ethnicity. Jesus, in first century Palestine, destroyed ethnic backgrounds. He destroyed it. He said, this is your neighbor. The law says, love your neighbor. And this is what he is, different to you, different culture, different nationality, different shared background. But you are called to do likewise. Where is the power to destroy fall and sinful history? Where is it where we can find the strength and the power to destroy ethnic tensions? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Now, this isn't easy. I'm not creating simple answers here. All I'm giving you is a gospel hope. And if you put your trust in Jesus... If we put our trust in Jesus as a church and we follow him, then this is where we will see power to overcome these racial tensions, racism, prejudice in our own hearts and in our communities as we move forwards. So the power comes from the cross. The power to live life with a shared story of identity with other people comes through the cross. Salvation comes through the blood of Jesus, accessed through faith. And Ant's already quoted this verse this morning. I'm so glad. I feel like God has already prepared the soil of our hearts this morning for quite a challenge this morning. But it says in Revelations 5.9, this is the picture of heaven. This is the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are worthy, it says, because you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people from every tribe, every language, every people group, every nation, Jesus enters the world not to bring a new ideology, but he came to release a power, a power to be able to be born again into one people of many peoples. It is by his blood, that means his death and his resurrection, that he takes on the punishment of our sin, our prejudice, and gives us a perfect righteousness. The gospel power works 
is working through and must work through every tribe, every nation, every people group. His salvation is not just for a few chosen nations, but for every nation to rescue Chinese people, to rescue Australian people, indigenous people, Mexicans, Indians, French, Germans, whatever it may be, Africans. You know, we just want to believe that the gospel message is a message of hope and salvation through faith for every single nation. And in doing so, we have the power. We have the power to live a life that receives people that loves our neighbor, that loves God, and restores what God has intended. Now, often when we talk about the gospel, we end with the cross. We think, okay, Jesus has saved me. He saved me and my family. Great, fantastic. We're set for life. But I want to give, we often leave what God's intent is afterwards. And God's intent is this. It's restoration. Restoration of all creation of all humanity, to restore all things to himself. And I find this sometimes a challenge, isn't it? Because growing up in the West, as I have done with a Western mentality, um, I'm sure some of us also can acknowledge this or acknowledge this. We, We have a very individualistic mindset. We think about maybe Christianity in the church as being something which is my salvation, my relationship with Jesus yeah? My worship to him, my giving, my service. But there's a bigger picture that God wants to grasp for us this morning, that we exist to restore all creation, which means that it's, yes, it's vertical, but it's also horizontal. That our calling as Christians is not just to worship God vertically in my little, me and my little cupboard and my prayer life, but actually it's to restore all of creation. And that means restoring relationships, Restoring racial tensions, restoring places where nations have put up walls between people and people groups, as well as sharing in our common humanity. John's vision in heaven at the very end times is this. John says, I looked up and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Now, in John's mind, I'm thinking he's grown up as a, uh, a Jewish person. He's traveled around probably Asia Minor as a missionary in his thing. He's seen nations, but he's seeing here a great multitude that no one could number. He sees from every nation. He sees it from every tribe. He's probably seeing people who he's, you know, he's probably seeing like indigenous uh, North American people who he hasn't even crossed you know, the pond to get to yet. He's seeing a vision of a greater people that he's even seen with his own eyes. He's seeing from all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages. And what are they doing? They are standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and that's Jesus Christ. And they're clothed in righteousness, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Revelation 7, 9. And I want us to have this picture I want us as a church to have this picture of a people clothed in white from every nation represented there. I want us to see, and when you have a picture of people looking to the throne, standing before the King of Kings and celebrating for all that he is, that he has rescued people from every tongue, every nation, every people group. God's plan of salvation is not about individualism. It's taking a people so, sorry, it's making a people out of people groups. A people of peoples 
standing before the throne of Jesus. This is what the gospel does. It rescues us from our self-centeredness. It rescues us from our individuality. It rescues us and unites us. It unites us as one body, one people. I've been reading this book called, called Bloodlines by um, John Piper in the last week or so. And um, he says this, the gospel gives the power to bring the bloodlines of race and this into the single bloodline of Jesus Christ. The bloodline of Jesus is deeper than the bloodline of race. Just think about that for a moment. Jesus has the power to unite every people group, every nation, every differential background, every background that has been hurt by another background. He has the power in the cross by his blood to form one bloodline from every people group. The bloodline of Jesus is deeper than the bloodline of race. Amen. Thank you, Lord. What does that mean, though, for me and my culture? Does it mean that we should, in this church then, have no differences? We should all be the same. We should all wear brown boots. <laughs> I was going to say cocky trousers. I think I've inverted. Um, we should all wear jeans. We should all drink coffee. And we should all be monolithic in our expressions. By no means. By no means. And this is the power of the gospel. The church on earth is to be a people of peoples before the throne of Jesus. And your culture, your background, your ethnicity, your language is included in that. This is crazy, guys. This is mad how God's plan is this. Because it's impossible. Human beings have tried it in our own power. And, and we see throughout history the, the consequences of just racial division and, and how even the church has tried to force um, a single mindset onto other people groups. And if you look at church history, yes, a lot of good came, but also a lot of pain has been shared, not just by people groups, but by also by the church. We have to acknowledge that, that we've sometimes forced our Christianity onto another people group. Whereas Christ is not bound by one ethnicity. The gospel is not bound, and there's no monopoly on the West of having the idea of what Christianity is. No one culture has a monopoly on Christianity. There are various expressions, diverse expressions, practices, that we in the West don't even know, because, you know, in my mind, I'm very blinkered in how I see sometimes the gospel lived out. But actually, as we see the color of the church grow, as we see shared stories, actually what we'll see is a greater expression of what it means and how the gospel is to impact this world. Just think about it for a moment. Your culture has shaped you uniquely. The emphases that you live out, the values that you bring out, the way in which you maybe inherently worship as a community, how you live out family life, the values you hold, the way you see community, those around you, the way you see family, the way you see God as Father, is all shaped by the way in which we have grown up and the way in which our cultures have impacted us. 
No, as I said before, no one culture has a monopoly on Christianity. And in many ways, the West is becoming a bit of a minority. The fastest growing churches are in Asia and Africa. Think about it. And they're learning how to share the gospel with their nation. It's not Western people coming in and imposing anymore. It's their own identity with the gospel taking root and making a difference and them sharing it with the nations around them. I think I read once, actually, that the, the greatest number of missionaries per capita head, what do you think it is? The greatest number of people going out of their own country and telling other people about Jesus per capita, where do you think it is? I heard it was Singapore. It may be out of date. Maybe I'm a few decades out of date. But, um, but yeah, let's, let's call Asia. You know, people have grasped the gospel in Asia and are going out from there. Not with a Western mindset, with an Asian mindset. And impacting their Asian communities and their communities and so on and so on. The gospel is taken root. And what I want to say is that we must rejoice in other people's cultures because that is what an expression of the church is. Every nation, every people group, bringing all that they are so that we can see an infinite God with some glimpse of a better understanding than my could narrow worldview. The gospel is limited if I only see it through my eyes. But when I see it through your eyes, when I see it through your culture, Man, the beauty of the gospel just gets even greater. The infinite God is expressed even in a richer understanding of the good news. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to be really practical. We haven't had the time to kind of meet and greet like we normally do at the beginning of the service. But this morning, I want to just invite you, after the service today, who will you gravitate towards? Who will you gravitate towards? And I don't mean this in a condemning way at all, but maybe... Part of your expression of worship today is to gravitate towards somebody who's totally different to you. Just maybe. And many of you, you know, there's no qualms at all, but some of us, we have to pursue multicultural experiences to enable our gospel eyes to be awakened. We have to have maybe meals with other people. And we do that often, I think, in this church with um, kind of bring and share. That's a beautiful expression of what we want to do as a multicultural church here. But I want to go beyond that. I want to go to invite you to learn other people's shared history, learn other people's values, ask them questions. We talked about being open-hearted this morning as part of a member of this family in Forest Town Church. Your call is not just to tolerate people. Your call is to love people. Your call is to understand where people's pain has come from. Your call is to is to love them for who God has created them to be, not who you expect them to be. That is what Jesus Christ has called us to be, to celebrate who they are in Christ and all that they are becoming. So come on, this morning we can share and rejoice in others' cultures. I need to see the gospel lived out through other people's cultures. Lastly, we also have to recognize that we have to redeem our cultures. And this is a really personal question for you from where you've come from. We said in our gospel arc that we are created, but we've also had the fall. And fall has affected every humanity, all of humanity, sorry, 
every nation, every people group, there is brokenness in each one of our communities, in each one of our ethnic backgrounds. Our lives are still tainted by sin as a common humanity, but also in our individual backgrounds and history. And as God makes us aware of some of our failures, as some of our shared history failures and our national failures, then how do we then apply the gospel to those situations? Sometimes the behavioral patterns that we see lived out in our lives, and we have to question, where did that come from? Maybe it's this, we call it sometimes called the sin of our fathers. You know, how is our upbringing, all the things that our fathers or our history has done, which now impacts me today and my children? Let me just give you an example from my own, and maybe you have your own, and this relates to you, maybe it doesn't. But for me, being Asian and Chinese, um, I'll use illustration. Have anyone seen the movie Mulan or the cartoon Mulan? What's, what's the big tagline in there? It's, um, um, you, uh, what's the song? Uh, you will bring honors to us all. Um, it's a big song and dance about how the importance of an individual in a Chinese community is not about bringing honor to themselves. It's about bringing honor to themselves, their family, their community, their whole nation. The weight of having to bring honor in Chinese culture, not just to an individual, but to a whole people group, is so heavy. And many of you understand this from your cultures. Maybe you've got another culture where the shame and honor culture is often talked about and generalized, but it's, it's a shame and honor where you as an individual have to carry this weight of honoring the whole community. You know, for some of us, you know, that's, what does that look like? Because if you bring shame, if you do something that's shameful, you also then shame the family the community, the nation. And, and the weight of that in my culture is so strong that um, that, that, that in itself has... has in, I used to go to a, an ethnic church when I was in London uh, for 12 years during my university years. And the weight of that mentality lived out um, means that everyone... How do you deal with sin? How do you deal with failure? There is no room for failure. How does it work out if you don't quite fit in to the normality and just following the system of honor? You've brought dishonor to us. That's at odds to the gospel. The gospel says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So we have to recognize these things in our own culture. And maybe for you, it's different to mine. But as God makes us aware of our behavioral patterns, how am I bringing that now to my children? Am I giving them gospel freedom? Or am I going to just replicate that mentality, that hurtful mentality? I'm not saying that some of these things aren't bad. Honoring and, and honoring and respect and all those things, good things in Chinese culture, they're not bad, but they need redemption. They need redemption. And for you, I'm not sure what it is for you. What about you is my question. Maybe it's a history of racial strife and injustice. Maybe when I talk about this, it just brings pain to your hearts right now. But I'm saying in the gospel, there is a power of forgiveness. There is a hope of justice coming from the throne of Christ in the end times. And we hold on to that, as Ant said, 
by faith. We don't see it yet, but we can take hold of it now because it's promised to us in Christ. Maybe it's a mentality of individualism. I'm going to withhold myself from other people and my possessions because it's about me, and that's what I've been taught. There is no space. The gospel says you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Maybe it's superiority over other people. Maybe it's a looking down on a people group. For whatever reason, bad experiences, shared history. I want to ask you this morning, do you see the opportunity this morning to value and bring honor to all of God's creation? Whatever that people group may be. Maybe, like me, it's this sense of shame and honor that we care more about our honor than honoring the name of Jesus and all that he has brought for us in the gospel. Let's look to him and find that power to live out and redeem our cultures where God opens our eyes to. I want to just end with this one thought as we close this morning. Do you know where the name Forest Town Church comes from? I don't see any trees outside right now. <laughs> I don't think we're in the middle of a forest or anything. I think there is a Forest Town Church, which is in the middle of a forest somewhere in the UK. But um, Forest Town Church, St. Albans, why are we called Forest Town Church? I remember when I first came to this church some 10 years ago, and I went to a, um, a, um, a grounded course, as we still, we did them then as well as today. And I asked, I can't remember who I asked, but I said, you know, where did this name come from? Um, and, and someone so graciously said this to me. It comes from Isaiah 41, verse 19. Let me just read it to you. I will plant the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and olive trees in the wilderness. I will put juniper, elm, and cypress trees together in the desert so that all may see and know and consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done it. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Forest Town Church, the name has come from this verse because the promise that was given to Anne and Helen when they planted this church, that the church would be a church for the nations. I don't know if you've seen our new sign outside. It looks a bit better than the old one, but the old one used to say Forest Town Church, just about. You could just about read it. And it said even, you can really read it after that. It said a little bit of text at the bottom. It said a church for the nations. And that was the promise that was given to Forest Town Church when they started. And the picture is this, that there will be trees, all different kinds of trees, which should never, ever be seated and planted next to each other. The cypress, the myrtle, the olive tree, they're all from different places. They don't exist naturally together. But it says this, God, I will put them together in the desert not even in a flourishing place, in a place which is dry and hard and which shouldn't, every circumstance is against it to making it happen. But God says, I will do this so that all may see, they would know and consider and understand that it is God who does this. So our vision for us in this church is that God has to do this. God has to redeem nations. God has to rescue us out of our sin and lift us up. God is going to establish his promise over this church that we will be a church for the nations, not just tolerating each other, but loving each other and, 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 and celebrating each other. 
He's going to break down my prejudice. He's going to break down my inherent racism inside of my heart. Things that he's going to uncover and purify us because he is a holy God. He is going to do this. He is going to establish his church. He is going to bring that picture of heaven in this place where every people, every nation, every tribe, every language group is united at the throne of Jesus. And if you believe that, if you believe that that is your call, if you believe that you're going to display this to the world so that all may know and see that it is him who is a righteous king, then I want you to stand with me. Because you can't do this on your own. You can't do this with your own power. This is a supernatural power that we need from Jesus to break down the walls of our hearts, to cause us to cry for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. But I want to pray for healing this morning. I want to pray that wherever we feel in our own hearts right now that God has been stirring and nurturing and encouraging, I want to pray that he would complete his work. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. Oh, Lord, we just think about strife in our world at the moment, nations warring against nations, people groups against other people groups. In our own selves, Lord, we would lose heart. But in you, Lord Jesus, in you and your gospel, we find hope, strength, and power. Thank you for the church, for the beautiful picture that every tongue, every nation, every people group is included. Thank you for your grace that you've rescued us, Lord, this people right here, to be a nation, a people of peoples. Every nation represented here, every culture, every ethnicity group, Lord, I pray that we would celebrate them this morning. Open our hearts, Lord, break down the hardness of our hearts, our own prejudices. Bring healing, Lord, where there is pain. Bring righteousness and justice where there is injustice. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, the world would see, the world would see the church and wonder who has done this. And we will say, the Holy One of Israel has created it. Jesus, we lift you up this morning and we worship you. Maybe this morning we can just, maybe you have a different language this morning, maybe just an expression of it right now. Maybe it's Afrikaans, maybe it's Mandarin, maybe it's um, Chinese, maybe whatever it is. Uh, why don't we just raise our voices now? Just say maybe you know the name of Jesus in your own language. Why don't we just worship him this morning as an expression of what we want to do this morning. Jesus, we worship you. Let's just speak out his praise this morning. Let's just pray his kingdom to come. Jesus, you rescue from every tribe, every nation. Secure in us, we pray this morning, a humility and obedience to follow where you would lead us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.